If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, this is our text for this morning's message. I would ask you to stand for the reading of the word. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to clearly see the way of hope as we move through this season and always. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you've ever driven a rocky one-lane mountain road, you can understand the desire for straight paths. On one side is a sharp drop-off, and on the other, sheer rock. If another car comes around the bend at the last second, one of you may have to creatively and meticulously pull halfway over onto the tiny shoulder. If you don't see each other in time, disaster could strike. This kind of road is especially fear-inducing for people who are only familiar with straight paths. If you grew up in an area of the country that is flat or in a well-lit city, Imagine the fear that a dark, winding path could inspire. My husband will tell you that I have gone hundreds of miles out of my way to avoid driving on mountains and mountainous roads. We nearly wound up in Mexico accidentally once because I was trying to avoid them. So I totally understand this terror of mountain roads. In the context of scripture, there aren't any cars driving up winding mountain roads, but not being able to see could still put you in harm's way. Thieves or wildlife could be around a bend with the potential to cause you physical harm or leave you without any resources. You know, take all your money, run. Mountains can make walking more difficult. If you have ever climbed up a mountain or gone hiking in hills, you will know that the change in elevation can make your journey very difficult, not to mention the challenge of keeping your footing on a rough, rocky trail. The danger and difficulty of craggy, curvy mountain paths are something the listeners to the words in Isaiah would have related to. But this text isn't necessarily talking about literal mountains and valleys. 
It's talking about preparing the way for the Lord so that the people might see and hear and know the way of hope that the Lord offers to all who believe. As we explore the text, we need to know what is happening from a then perspective. So prophets speak truth to power, and John is a prophet. Luke starts out this chapter telling us who all the rulers are of the day, both the civil leaders, the political leaders of Rome, the ruling empire where the Jews are, and the religious leaders of the Jewish people. This list alludes to the original context of the Isaiah passage being quoted, which was spoken to a people in exile. They were living outside of the place where they were supposed to be. And it was spoken that they might have hope that the Messiah would one day come and free them, that they would know that though they were in a different land, God still heard their cries for restoration. The New Testament Jews, where we are now listening to John, they were not in exile, but they were certainly being oppressed. They are still in a wilderness place, crying out for God to save them from their oppressors. Their oppression comes in the form of heavy taxes, of limited freedoms, of challenges to their religious freedoms. They are in need of saving. These political and religious leaders are listed seemingly as a contrast to the coming of the true king, the Messiah who will reorder things. Jesus does not come in through the vein of politics or religious celebrity. In fact, he probably wouldn't win any election. And probably no one would come to hear him preach. Jesus comes to the world as a humble servant, declaring life and salvation for everyone. In this passage, John is speaking a truth that counters all of the systems of the day in which he lives. He is specifically not declaring Caesar as Lord. This is significant in this time where he lives under Roman rule. And people were commanded to declare Caesar not only as the ruler of Rome, but as their only God. John is not speaking of following religious law. He's not talking about making sacrifices and following rules the way the Jews have done in the past. John is declaring baptism and repentance as keys to salvation. It's completely different from what they have known up to this point. This is completely counter to everything that they have understood. It is a radical and countercultural call that urges the people to think differently. 
This baptizing and call for repentance is preparing the way of the Lord, preparing hearts to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. John is setting the stage for Jesus. But how does all of this work for us? That's what John was doing back then, but what does that mean for us today? Well, during Advent, we're also called to make straight paths for the way of the Lord. We can list the rulers of our day, both political and religious, who often take up too much space in our hearts. The systems of this world are often in direct opposition to the kingdom of God. And the Messiah still wants to reorder these systems in our hearts and our lives. We're still called to live counterculturally. It hasn't changed. The political leaders in our world are not Lord either. We have to be very careful about declaring them as Lord of our lives, whether by our words or our actions. And we don't necessarily have a Caesar today who could throw us to the lions, which was a real possibility for them in that day. But we do have traps. And some of them can seem very good from a first glance. But that makes them even more challenging, even more insidious, because they are indeed traps for calling out our political leaders as Lord. And it's easy to place our hope in political systems or politicians because we can see them and they can do good things and we can work with them and we can hope for good in those. But it is so important 100% so important to recognize that our hope is not in them. The kingdom we serve is not of this world. It is the kingdom of God, a kingdom where all is made right. It is our hope and desire for this already, not yet, kingdom. But we have to be careful. We aren't called to religious legalism either. Legalism can often become easier and more attractive than repentance and grace. But we are called to the messy work of love and grace. And sometimes it really does look ugly. People do things that really hurt us, that are really hard for us to wrap our heads around. But when we are living in the way of hope, our job is to not let that become what defines us. Our reaction to the people who are hurtful to us has to be one of love and grace first. That has to be the underpinning for everything that we do, love and grace. And sometimes it's really complicated and really ugly and really messy. And I'm going to confess to you, I don't always get it right either. I'm sure he can tell you. It's hard. It's not easy. 
But when we're in community together and we're living through it and we're digging in and we're working on being love and grace in the hardest places, that's when hope shines brightest, when we can see it the biggest. Because when we're messy, when we're living our messy lives and we're still giving each other love and grace in those moments, that's when the world looks over and says, what the heck is going on over there? Because they can see the way of hope lived out in us. That's what we're supposed to do. And it's not about rules and regulations. It's not about doing this, that, and the other thing and checking off boxes. It's about digging in. Understanding who Jesus is and working through that The work of Christ is the pouring out of oneself and the loving of others. We turn away from the way things have always been done, and we look at the world with a lens of love, grace, and hope. We're called to repent and to think differently. We have to reorder our hearts. We have to think about how to do things, even good things, in the right order. We have to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Messiah, not just in this season, but all the time. If we look closely, we can see Christ at work in each other, in the rest of the world. I went one day and visited with um, Ann Roman. She owns the bar down here called the Nameless Bar. I just went and chatted with her for a few minutes. And while I was there, there was a guy who was sitting at the bar. He was obviously a regular patron. I don't know him, don't know his name, don't know anything about him. But um, he had brought with him a big, giant water bottle And as he was getting ready to pack up his things and leave, uh, Anne filled it up with water and sent him on his way with it. I was a little bit perplexed, but I realized what had happened is, is his water had been shut off at home. And so she filled up this big water bottle for him so that he could take it home and take care of all his needs with this big water bottle, one of those big 50 gallon jugs or whatever. I don't know, whatever, however many, five, okay, five, fine. She also found someone else in the, in the bar at that time to carry it out for him because he was kind of feeble and wasn't going to be able to carry it out himself. And in that moment, I'm standing in a place where you would not expect to encounter Christ. You just wouldn't. It's not a place where we normally think about seeing Jesus at work. But in that moment, she was being Jesus to that guy. And if we look, we can see moments like that all over the place. Because God is at work. God is breaking in. His kingdom is here. We just have to see it.
The way of hope is the way of holiness. And as we seek a new way of doing things, the landscape around us begins to change. The rough places are made smooth and the mountains are laid low. God works out in our hearts a way of holiness. And the way of holiness is hope for all people. This text says that God's salvation is for all people. We help to bring wholeness and hope to those around us when we make straight the path for the Lord. We need the voices of others sometimes to tell us where the way is, what it looks like. And we often need to be that voice for others so that they can see the salvation of Jesus too. Advent of all times might be one where the road curves a bit more for us. The lure of commercialism and the idolatry of prioritizing even good things like family over Jesus are ever-present. The way gets windy and curvy and a, a little difficult to see Jesus in light of it all. Sometimes people struggle year-round to see any kind of hope. All they see are mountains in the way. Christ came to show a new way, a way of hope, of healing, of holiness. He revealed a kingdom that is different from this world. And we can repent and live in this kingdom here and now. We can make straight the paths for Jesus that others may see and hear that salvation is for them too.